My grandfather believed he had lived in the greatest time in human history. He saw the advent of the automobile, air travel, radio and television, and nuclear power. He died in 1950. Little did he know that in just 19 short years, we would see men walk on the moon and then return to talk about it. Everybody alive today has experienced the wonder of scientific discovery and advancement. It has been so impressive that for some, it has rendered the Bible relatively obsolete. The topic today on Craving Answers, Craving God, Science versus the Scriptures. I'm Chuck Rathard with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. You can always find our episodes on our website, cacg.stjamesglencarbon.org. Aaron, among the obstacles that form barriers against faith, science might be near the top of the list. Are science and the Bible incompatible? Oh, they shouldn't be, but it depends on what you mean by science. If by science you mean the classical definition of exploring the physical world through observation, uh, you know, the hypothesis and, and observation and conclusion cycle, uh, then no, it shouldn't be. If by science you mean, though, um, the worldview that there is nothing except for what can be observed physically, that that's the only thing that exists then they're going to be incompatible because the Bible insists that our universe is much more nuanced than that, that there, are, that there, that there is a physical element to the universe, of course, uh, but there's also more than that. And, and science, when it says, you know, naturalism is good, but when, you know, philosophical naturalism, the belief that all there is is the material, th then definitely it's going to be incompatible, and it's going to lead, um, it's going to lead people to assume that. Any sort of discussion of a, a non-physical world, a spiritual world, or the possibility that God could act in the world or miracles—that that's that, that's necessarily not true. It's you know superstitious and, and backwoods, and and so then it's going to become incompatible. But it doesn't need to be so because uh, what science does is describe uh, it, it describes the physical world as it exists, but it doesn't tell us how things came about. It doesn't tell us about morality, for instance. Uh, John Lennox, the Oxford mathematician, is fond of saying, uh, science, science, can tell us, science can tell us that arsenic is lethal, but science can't tell you whether you should give it to your grandma or not. That's just not science's job. And when we assume that it is, when we assume that science is the uh, universal worldview and it has all the answers, uh, then we're stuck in a position where we don't know the answer to questions like, should I give arsenic to my grandma or not? Because science can't possibly answer that. And so they don't need to be, they both need each other, of course. And Why do they both need each other? Well, because, uh, well, if I can speak as a Christian, because God created a physical world. God created a physical spiritual world. And he encourages us to be creative within that world and to be stewards over it. And so to explore it and examine it and to figure out all we can about how things work is an unbelievably noble pursuit. And, and done in the right way can be done to the glory of God. And in fact, up until the middle of the 19th century, it almost always was. It was almost always people of faith who were doing the science. And it's not until sociologists and historians tell us, it's not until the um, mid-1800s, late-1800s, 
where uh, people of science desperate to get out from underneath the control of the church, many of the schools where they taught at in Europe and North America were church schools, begin to actively try to separate the two and say religious people should not be involved in science because uh, you know they're kind of less intelligent and the, the intelligent work needs to be done by us. And so the you know the, the the religious people who are in charge of our schools they need to be hands off, and in in, in in a grasp for power that division was made, but really it's artificial and it's based on a great deal of faith. There's not a lot of proof. It's based on a great deal of presuppositional conjecture. I find it fascinating how people on the secular side of this question can look deeply into the physical world, into nature almost down to the atoms, and easily come to the conclusion that there's no God here anywhere. And believing people, Christians, can look at the what they call or we call the creation, and they see God everywhere. Right. How do you explain that difference? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a great way to uh, make the point I was just trying to make right before you asked that question, which is that it is all presuppositional. You bring your presuppositions, your you bring prior beliefs to any of these conversations. And so n- nobody looks shouldn't at- Shouldn't a scientist, I, I don't know, I'm speaking here, I'm, this is not my field. Shouldn't a scientist never bring presuppositions to a, a scientific question? <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's one of the great modernist myths is that, well, you shouldn't have presuppositions. You should be objective. You know, we want our scientists and our politicians and our news broadcasters to be objective. And, but, but what we know, and this is actually, we can, we can, this is, I mean, the ancients knew this perfectly well. Uh, and it's only enlightenment people, it's only white people since the 1700s who have problems with this. But what one of the things postmodernism is teaching us is that that's actually not possible. Nobody is presuppositionalist. N- nobody is objective. Everybody comes to, um, to, to evidence that they look at with hypothesis already in advance. And so, you know your your illustrations are good, which is exactly right. Um, a secular person can look at a sunset and say, "Well, you know, uh, um, look at the way the the uh, the light refracts through the different elements of the atmosphere here. You know, creating the different colors, and see it's clear that I mean that's just that's just a natural phenomenon. That's what happens when when light naturally passes through haze or smoke or through the stratosphere, or whatever. And uh, a religious person would say. Man, God is so good to paint such a beautiful sunset. And um, what the scientific person, and sometimes the religious people uh, co- uh, cooperate with this, the, many scientific people will say, well, that's just superstitious. That's not, why do you need to drag God into this? It's just, that's the way light works when it goes through haze. You don't need really you need God in this. And a lot of times, um, you know, religious people will say, well, like, uh, you know, you, you pagan, uh, you know, godless person, I don't want to hear from you. Which is also a mistake because what the the world of the Bible would insist, and I think what I mean, just real open-minded humanity would recognize is that the, those two comments, you know, wow, this is ph- phenomenal, what you know, what's happening here naturally. That's very very compatible also with man, it's great that there's a creator that can create beautiful scenes like this. Those two things are not mutually uh, exclusive. So you made reference to, I think, what we might call the Western European emergence uh, in the 1600s, the Renaissance, Mm -hmm. 
France, England, Germany, Italy, Portugal, Spain, all those groups. And out of that came something called the Enlightenment. I guess we need to talk about that, the age of reason. I mean, enlightenment is a pleasant, optimistic word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always good to come out of the darkness into the light. For some, that darkness was religion. Right. And the enlightenment was replacing religion with science. Would you say that's an accurate description? Yes. That's what the enlightenment was trying to do was, and and in many ways, not intentionally. Um, You know, Descartes, the French mathematician, for instance, he he didn't disbelieve in God. He was at, he was actually trying to prove the existence of God, but he thought, I have to do this by non-revelatory means. I have to do this without reference to you know God speaking in the Bible or through the church. I have to do this naturally, and so he tried to come up with sort of a, a you know a foolproof argument for the existence of God without reference to God revealing Himself. And uh, he thought he was successful, but but in the end, what he did was he uh, marginalized God by saying that you can know human beings have knowledge because human beings are reasonable thinking creatures. And so the source of all really good, solid knowledge can't be revelation. It can't be revelation. I mean, sometimes priests are mistaken. Sometimes priests lie. And so one thing you can know for sure, Descartes said, was that your brain can think things. I think, therefore I am, he said, the famous dictum. And so I can solve problems with my brain. And this is one of the elements that kicked off the enlightenment, which is we don't need God. We don't need revelation. We have our brains. And our brains can actually um, solve all these problems. Extremely optimistic. And uh, what we know now after the 20th century um, is that, uh, you know, the payout of all that optimism was, you know, two world wars, uh, genocides all over the world all the time. And so the, the, the... it was too optimistic. It, it, you know, but unfortunately, many people still are kind of living in the afterglow of that optimism, even though postmodernism insists, no, we're not going to listen to scientists anymore. Scientists are just another version of priests trying to control us. So postmodernists believe. You know, you're just as bad as the, uh, you, you know, as the Pope and, and all the pastors and politicians from 500 years ago. You scientists, you just want to own us. But many people still live in the afterglow of like, well, no, we don't need God. We don't need uh, we don't need God because we have science and we can figure things out. So today I'm thinking we may be talking to a secular person who is listening to us. We'll listen to this conversation and we'll be angry because they think we're trying to shoehorn religion into their otherwise objective, naturalistic view right. of the universe. Or we may leave a believing person troubled because we seem to be affirming the pursuit of science and objective reality. And so everybody will be unhappy when we're done. How do, you, how do we avoid that outcome? Um, well, so, you know, th- so the, the first person, the, uh, the secular person who, who might say, you know, hey, what are you doing? Trying, I see what you're doing here. You're trying to say, okay, science is good, but hey, look over here, here's God too. You're trying to sneak God in the back door, and you shouldn't do you know you shouldn't do that. Keep your religion out of science. I would just argue to that person that that you are just as religious as I am. Your presuppositional beliefs, which can't be proven, uh, are you know are, are are just as foundational to who you are. In other words, they, they are they are religion. They are a foundational 
worldview position that you hold that cannot be proved that you bring to the table. I mean, so, so I mean, one way to say it like this is, uh, you know, when I talk to a secular person, um, I believe in God. They don't believe in God. I can't prove that God exists. They can't prove that God doesn't exist. And that means that everything that that person and I say to each other about God or not God or however you want to put it is a matter of faith. It's, it's, it's all based upon a belief that we're bringing to the table. And you can't prove that God doesn't exist. So to be an atheist is actually a religious move. And, it, and this is not anything I'm – not, I'm not trying to poo-poo it. Everything that anybody – this is what the postmodernists say. There's, postmodernists say there's no such thing as an objective person. We all have our presuppositions. And if that is the case, and I firmly believe that it is, it means that we are all fundamentally religious in the broadest sense of the word. I mean, even if you don't go to a house of worship or believe in an afterlife, we're all fundamentally religious. And so I would just say, you know, check yourself. You know, but if you come into this conversation thinking, I'm objective, I'm intelligent, I'm educated, and I'm going to talk to Aaron, and he's superstitious, and he just believes things that he can't prove, and that's not like me. I would just say you need to check yourself because you've fallen into the enlightenment myth that you are objective, and it's just not the case. So for the first person, I would say, you and I, my friend, are both religious. Now let's just get it out on the table, and then we can have a discussion about it without any sort of baggage that one of us is smart and one of us is dumb, which is definitely going to inhibit the conversation. So let's take this question that we're talking about here, the dialogue between the secular person and the Christian person. Mm -hmm. And the Christian person looks to Scripture as uh, an informative toward how they're going to approach that question. Sure. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God, wrath of God, that's serious stuff, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is, I think, striking language. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Who are they? The ungodly. Because God has shown it to them. Mm -hmm. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So they are without excuse. Yeah. If you want to start an argument, that's probably a good place to go. Yeah. Or you want me to start an argument? Uh, you can start an argument if you like. I just, I just, yeah. I feel like I played the ace of Trump there, uh, dropped the mic, and I'm out of here because I win the argument. But I'm sure my secular opponent wouldn't feel that way. Right. Well, I mean, so this is when I talk to, uh, when I talk to secular people, this is one of the things I'm going to bring up is that. Um, well, you know, the, the Psalms say that the, all over the place, things like the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, etc. So the world that we live in is best explained by there being a God who made everything. I, I just think that uh, and that's, one of my, that's one of my first moves. And I realize that that's not an objective thing. I say that as a matter of faith, but I think that it just makes sense. I, I, you know, while I affirm all the science that goes into explaining sunsets, I also look at a sunset, and I, it's, it's irresistible to think that that is beautiful. I, I don't know of anybody, secular or religious person, who would say that a beautiful sunset's not beautiful. Everybody says it's beautiful. Now, but now once we start talking about beauty, what are we doing? We're into a, 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 we're into a discussion. We're into a, a, 
you know, we're into making value judgments based upon some sort of standard. But why, why, where does that standard come from? Why is it that universally everybody thinks that beautiful sunsets are beautiful? Why? That, that's, how can you explain that naturally? It's, there's only one way to explain it, and that is that there is a capital B beauty in the universe by which we judge things. And it's not just, it's not just like uh, when I have these conversations, you know, the, 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 the one based upon the, the scripture that you're describing in Romans 1. It's not just about sunsets and things that can be examined with microscopes and those sorts of things. It's also, you know, you know I have conversations with people about uh, morality as well. That this, where does a universal standard of morality come from? Science can't, like, like the Linux quote, science can't tell us what's right and wrong. And it, 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 things get extremely muddled when science tries to say, we can give you 100% of all truth. Then what do you do with ethical questions? One of the things we've done is say there's no such thing as ethics because science doesn't discuss it. And so there's no such thing as ethics. One of the things we've done is we've said, if science can do it, it's ethical. That's another move, which has also gotten us into trouble sometimes. This is, you know, uh, you, you know uh, um, uh, dropping atomic bombs on people. Is I, I know that that's it's, it was that was never a simple discussion for anybody, but if science can do it, does that mean it's okay to do it? I think that that's a wrong way to look at it as well. But if you would just allow God into the conversation, you would see that a lot of what you think and know about the world actually can't be explained scientifically. So we've had this conversation quite a bit, and and I keep circling back to it because I'm actually having a conversation, uh, kind of a weekly conversation with that I've mentioned before in here with a, with a secular guy right now, just a wonderful guy. Um, but you know, for instance, racism, he believes racism is wrong. I believe racism is wrong, but from his viewpoint, scientifically, you can't prove that you can't prove that racism is wrong scientifically. In fact, scientifically, you know, like I said, I think I've said before, Aristotle says it's extremely clear that there are some peoples and some races that were meant for subjugation. Well, scientifically, you could do that. You could look at the evidence and say, well, this, this race is good at this, and so they should be forced to do that. This race over here looks like physically they were built for this, and so they should be forced to do that. Scientifically, you could do that. But if God exists and humans are made in his image, then that's immoral, which every secular person I talk to says racism is immoral. And they want to say that racism is immoral. And then if you say, well, scientifically prove that to me, they can't do it because their belief that racism is immoral is actually they themselves have snuck it in their own back door with this belief in God. They believe that humans have a godly like value, even though they don't believe in God. And so there's this tension within them. And one of the things that I like to do when I have conversations with secular people is to let them see that actually the way you're living your life, there's a huge disjunct between the way that you're living your life and uh, what you actually say that you believe. So so Francis Schaeffer said that one night he was talking to, uh, actually I think he was on a, a boat trip and he was talking to a secular guy and they were having a conversation like this and at the end of the evening he said to him, he's like, you're gonna go back to your stateroom right now and you're gonna make love to your lover and I want you to know that when she's wrapped up in your arms, she does not exist according to your own philosophy. That what you're experiencing, there's nothing to it. It's just purely a biological urge to propagate the race. And Schaefer says, I hated to do that to him because the man was deeply in love. But I had to. It was the only way to get him to snap out of it and to see that, like, I can't, I'm not, if, if, if I am a secular person, I am not allowed to say a sunset is beautiful because I have no standard by which to judge beauty. 
scientifically. Science can't do that. I have no standard by which to say racism is wrong if there's no God. And one of the things I want to do is I want to say your science does a lot of like super important things. But when you get rid of God, you actually have to import him in somewhere else. And what you're doing is you're doing it unwittingly. You're doing it through the back door. You're doing it ignorantly. And I just I just want to encourage you, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on doing the science. That's great. But wake up and see that God is there as well. He has to be there and give him glory. So in my mind, I'm imagining two men standing on the seashore. One is an unbeliever. The other is a believer. They're both observing the same sunset. They're both struck by its magnificence. And the believer looks at it and, and considers the colors and considers the weather, how lovely the weather is, the beauty of the sky, perhaps the seagulls flying through the sky, and says to himself, wow, we serve an awesome God. The unbeliever looks at it and says, well, I'm really happy I understand that the earth is rotating and the sun is not really going down, but we're really rotating, and the sky is getting redder because the sunlight is passing through more and more atmosphere, right. shifting the light to the red, and twilight is upon us, and this is easily observable every day because it happens all the time. Wow, we men are really awesome that we figured this out. Yeah. Looking at the same thing, one is glorifying God, the other is glorifying us. Those are two diametrically opposed conclusions, I think. Yeah. I find that fascinating and interesting. Yeah. But I would say to both of them, you're both right. You're both correct. I mean, just to my secular friend, though, I would say you would enjoy this a lot more if you could also say God's a good God. Everything he's saying is true. But when he says, and so God can't be involved in this, that's actually a religious move that you're making, which denies a lot of what you're experiencing, the beauty, like I said. So if you're in a conversation like this, with, and you, you have been, and I'm just creating a hypothetical here now, and let's say that you're a very persuasive. Let's say in the give and take, you have more or less backed your secular friend into a kind of a corner. Sometimes they'll play this card. In chapter 10 of Joshua, it says, quote, the sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set up for about a whole day. For some, a statement like this just discredits the entire Bible. Well, if, you know, if, you've, if you've got me in some trouble here with the way I see things, don't tell me you believe that the sun stopped because the whole universe would fly apart. The whole solar system would right, fly yeah. apart if this happened. Yeah. How do you respond to that? I'd say, yeah, you could do that. I mean, you could do that just about on every page of the Bible. You know, there's people parting seas and there's, people making a bunch of food out of a little bit of food and there's people calming storms and there's this one guy who's rising from the dead. You, you could do that all through the Bible if you wanted to. And um, I mean, it's just going to circle us back to our original conversation. This is a faith commitment. You know, so look, if God created the world, then he can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, if God, if, if God can invent an entire universe, then he can cause water to turn into wine. That's, but, but if, God, if there is no God, then of course it's nonsense. If there is no God and everything works naturally, of course it's nonsense. But I just want you to understand that you're starting with the presupposition that there is no God. That's, it's, it, this is a faith commitment. This is not a scientific move that you're making here. It's a faith commitment that there's no God, and so therefore nothing supernatural could ever happen. If you, start off with, if you change your presupposition and start off with there is a God, 
then it would make sense. Okay, so that's the short answer. But here's my here's sort of a longer answer that I would actually have with a person. It depends on who they were, but I would actually have this answer. I would say, okay, forget that. Just don't worry about it. Tell yourself it's that that's fake, whatever. That's fine. Move on. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the resurrection of Jesus. That's much closer to us in time. It's much better attested uh, witness-wise. So for, forget the sun standing still. If you can't handle that, then like that, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Just for, forget about it. You can t- tell yourself it's not true. But let's look at the resurrection of Jesus. And I, I'm not, not going to get into this here, Chuck, right now, because we've talked about this in here before. But, but the, the historical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus are almost irresistible unless you come in with a hard and fast materialist presupposition that it is impossible that anybody could ever rise from the dead. Outside of that, that's the only argument against it is that dead people don't rise, which that's the whole point, you know? Let's start there. Let's look at that. And if you can come to understand that the resurrection of Jesus happened, then all the rest of it's going to fall into place, you know? I, but, but, but if you start by saying, well, no, we can't do that. That's, that's out of bounds. God's out of bounds. We have to talk about this. You and I, if, if my secular friend says to me, you and I are going to talk about the world, but we are not allowed to bring God into the conversation. We can only use science. I'm saying that you're, you're closing yourself off to huge swaths of data and information and evidence that can't be explained without God. So the, the Christian philosopher Alvin Plantica says it like this. That, that many secular people are like drunks looking for their car keys under the streetlight based upon the argument that, well, I can't see in the dark, so I can only look under streetlights. Plantica says that, that actually the atheists go the drunk one better. They say, well, since it's dark outside of the streetlights, that the keys can only be underneath the streetlight, which just plainly is not the case. If you just say that it can only be in one spot, that's what the only answer can be. Then, okay, you've stacked the deck. You've created a conversation that can't explain anything else. And so if you can't explain anything else, you shouldn't be surprised. And so I would just say, okay, uh, you know, if you look at an event like the sun, like the earth standing still, the sun standing still, whatever it is, and you think, okay, well, what would happen? Well, the earth would stop rotating and we would all fly off, you know, whatever the, the, the speed is, you know, 500, 600 miles an hour, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know what that speed does. I'm just making that up. Don't anybody email me and let me know because <laughs> I don't. I don't really care. But like, well, so that that's clearly not going to happen, you know? Because if the and if you stop and you think, well, if there's a God who incre- who who invented spinning planets, then he can do whatever he wants. I'm not. I'm not. It's not our job to explain what the point of that story is here today. But like, if you would allow the God proposition. To, to, to enter into your story, you would see that, okay, well, I understand how this could be. Let's talk about the word faith here for a moment because it exists in both realms. Yes. The scientist, he does experiments. He repeats experiments. Yes. He finally does enough experiments to see to it that the outcome is repeatable. Right. If I do this, if I put these chemicals together, I get WD-40. Right. So I will put those chemicals together from now on, and I'll have WD-40 forever. Yeah, yeah. And I have faith in that outcome. Yeah. The Bible also uses, Christians also use the term faith, but the Bible teaches that faith is a gift from God. Faith it's in not, Jesus, yeah. It's, not, yeah. it's not something that you can dig up out of the ground or that you can put chemicals together or you can develop a pill that you can take and, oh, good, now I have faith. 
so that when you say Jesus is Lord or I believe that it's true yeah. that Jesus rose from the dead, you didn't use science to come to that conclusion. You used a gift from God to come to that conclusion. Right. So I'm, my question is, did God set it up that way so that nobody could use any natural process to come to this conclusion, this true conclusion, and therefore say, huh, I figured it out. What a fine boy am I. We can never say that because unless God gives the gift, you don't get it. Yeah, I, so did that make sense? Yeah, I mean, okay. so so God doesn't want us to boast. Everything, all, all the glory belongs to Him. I, you, you know, I can understand scientific. Well, maybe not me. I'm probably the wrong person. But like I, human, there's other smarter, scientifically smarter people than me who can understand, you know, the whole physics and 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 optics behind the sunset. What God wants us to do, though, is to say, so a, I've given you this understanding. And I've given you the experience of the sunset so that you can glorify me. Like, you should enjoy that. You should enjoy having the gift of science to understand these things. But you should also say that's a gift from God. And that's very, very important to God throughout the story that he tells in the Bible. Um, The other thing, though, is that the other thing about that is that uh, everybody has faith. Um, The scientist has faith. To, To create a hypothesis, and to buy into testing it out creates faith. I have a friend who, uh, our dryer's on the blink right now. So I had a friend who came over yesterday and looked at it and he messed around with it. And he said, well, look here. He said, when it's on the high heat setting, it doesn't work. And when it's on the medium heat setting, it does work. And I thought, okay, well, I don't, I'll just put it on the medium heat. And uh, I thought, well, that's it. That's the solution. Medium heat, it's going to work. I went upstairs and drug down uh, like t- two basketfuls of laundry, and I got down to the basement, put it on medium heat. It didn't work. It didn't work. I had committed in faith to it, and it didn't work. Well, this is what science do. They, they have faith in a hypothesis. They test the data. The data doesn't work, and so they adjust the hypothesis, and that's that's a perfectly normal way to do things. And Christianity is, in some sense, is the same way, is there are people who look at the evidences, and begin to come closer to understanding Christianity. There are people who have powerful emotional experiences, sometimes devastating, sometimes really good emotional experience, and they think, maybe there's a God behind us. There are people who make friends with groups of people who are Christians, and they say, I really like those people. They're kind, and they're generous, and they've reached out to me, and I connect with them on a bunch of different levels. Maybe what they believe about God is true. Now, this is all stuff that people do. Like this is they, they gather the data. But what makes what makes um, the, the 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 religion of the Bible Christianity different is that um, ultimately what it comes down to is a relationship. It comes down to a relationship. And so I don't need to have a personal relationship with a test tube or a microscope um, in order to, to to do science. There are tools that I use. But God is not a tool that we use to get to the truth in Christianity. God is a person. And because God is a person, it means that if I'm going to actually know and believe in him, it's going to have to be in relationship. It's going to have to be like like all relationships with other, with other people. It's going to have to be a faith commitment. And when the Bible says that that faith is a gift from him, what it means is, is that he's the one who makes the move to us. That he's not saying, hey, I'm here if you want to know me. 
I've got office hours, come and see me. That when God actually, when we actually do come to believe in God and to know him through Jesus Christ, it's because he's made the move to grab us up in his arms and to love us. And so the faith that we have in him is more like, it's, it's, it's less like the faith that a scientist has, you know, that I'm going to put these chemicals together and it's going to make WD-40. That, that's, that's faith and it's good and it pays out and that's how we get WD-40. But it's more like the faith of a child who's learning to love and trust his parents the more that they talk to him and hold him or her in their arms and that sort of thing. And so the parent is making the move. I'm going to show this child love. And by doing so, they train the child to love and believe in them. And that's the way, that's the way biblical Christianity is. God makes the move so that, so, so the way the Bible describes that is that the faith, the relationship faith that creates that bond between us is a gift from him. Some have found a kind of middle ground between science and scripture, which allows them to sort of have a peace or come to rest on this controversy. They speak of intelligent design. This takes our natural observations a step or two beyond science, opens the door to some metaphysical kind of things, but seems to stop short of the biblical concept of a creator God. How do you regard intelligent design? Um, I have to admit, I, I don't know a lot about it. I haven't studied it, like intelligent design. Um, I, I know that many philosophical materialists believe it's kind of like a, a tricky way to talk about creationism. And I mean, I believe that God is intelligent and that he designed the world. So as a Christian, I guess I, I believe in intelligent design. I think that any sort of conversation which pits science against faith is wrongheaded at the outset. I don't think we need sort of middle ground terminology to create a bridge between those two things. The, the God who created the world calls us to understand it. The, the, the actual gap is not between faith and science. The actual gap is between philosophical materialism, which says that there's nothing in the universe except for the physical, and so that cause and effect can explain everything. And God is a human being. No, so, so, yeah, God is a human being. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth, and so we can have a relationship with him. And that means that all of our experiences, our physical experiences, as well as what we, we might call you know spiritual or psychological or emotional or relational experiences, don't need to be boiled down to mechanics, don't need to be boiled down to biology or you know uh, um, uh, chemicals flowing in our bodies, that there actually is such a thing as personality and personhood, that there is such a thing as morality, there is such a thing as beauty, there is such a thing as justice. But those things can only be explained in terms of God unless you want to boil them down to just the physical. So in, in, in my mind, the gap is between the philosophical materialist and those people who would say, no, that's too simple. I, I think the keys could be off in the dark somewhere. And if you would just talk about enlightenment, if you would just get your flashlight out and look around out in the areas where you've been afraid to look before, you might find your key cars, uh, your car keys, you drunk. I think that's, a, that, that's probably the best way to look at it. And what religion says is, what, what Christianity says, is that there's more, that, that there's more truth than, 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 than you can anticipate, my materialist friends. So in the pursuit of truth, and everybody wants to know what's true, Nobody wants to be fooled by believing something that's false and finding out later that it was a wrong right. turn. In the pursuit of truth, the secularist may be happy 
that he has lived a life of the pursuit of truth, which he has assiduously kept free from the stain of religion and all that kind of stuff. On the other hand, the Christian or the believer goes about the pursuit of truth and is very happy what they see in science because it affirms what they believe based on their Christian faith. Yeah. Who has the advantage? Well, I, so again, I, I think that the Christian has the advantage. I, I know that's a shocker because I'm assuming everybody who's listening to this knows that I'm a Christian. I think the Christian has an advantage simply because the Christian's, the Christian's hypothesis takes into account way more data like beauty and truth and morality. And the materialist hypothesis can't take in that data. As a, a funny conversation, uh, you can find this on YouTube, uh, as a debate between John Lennox, uh, uh, like I, I mentioned him earlier, Oxford mathematician, Christian, and Richard Dawkins, uh, um, world-famous atheist. And at one point, John Lennox says to him, do you believe your wife loves you? And uh, Dawkins doesn't know what to do with that because he can't talk about trust and belief without God. And so he says, well, I know she loves me, but that, then Lennox has him because the question is, well, how do you know? Can you prove it? And as a scientist, he has to either say, I have no clue if my wife loves me or anything, but he knows that's not true because he and his wife love each other. And he knows that experience. He knows it. He believes in it, but he doesn't have any categories outside of God to explain what love is. It's, it's, in many ways, it's so sad. And in many ways, it's almost infantile the way that Lennox can position him to understand, or that he, he actually doesn't, he, he won't go there. He just rejects it. He won't. I don't want any part of this conversation, he eventually says. Well, here's my point, is that Lennox is a scientist. He's a mathematician, technically. But his belief in God allows him to incorporate all sorts of things into his life. Algebra, chemistry, the love of a man and a woman, the deliciousness of wine, a beautiful sunset. Dawkins, his philosophy has to, you know, it's just where the light, his own personal light is shining and everything else is darkness that he can't explain. I would say the advantage is heavily in the Christian's favor. And I would encourage any of our listeners who are secular to, um, well, get a hold of me if you have any questions about this. I can turn you on to some really good books and we can have fun conversations. But there's a whole world waiting for you out there, a world of, of love and beauty and relationship that you could enjoy thoroughly if you would let your guard down and countenance the possibility that there's a creator God who has revealed himself to us and who loves us and who wants us to be happy and who wants us to worship him. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what would be your favorite uh, method for doing that? Oh, probably my, uh, like it's my personal email is uh, Aaron James Miller, M-U-E-L-L-E-R, all one word, at gmail.com. I, it's, it's probably, I don't, I don't think it's out of bounds. I'm going to give my phone number too. It's area code 618-670-1299. That's my personal cell phone. You can text me or call me. And I love having conversations like this. We'll see what happens. Well, we want to say thank you for spending some time with us here on Craving Answers, Craving God. If you find these conversations helpful or encouraging, please tell your friends about us. Just put Craving Answers, Craving God into your search engine and sample the more than 40 shows that are at your disposal. For Pastor Aaron Miller, I'm Chuck Rather, wishing you God's blessings.